this is the show. You can talk whenever we were. You don't have to be quiet before okay. your introduction. I, I mean, I you know, you all are talking about the the ins and outs of the show. You know, I yeah. don't want to step on any toes. Yeah, this is all probably gonna get cut. Um, though now that I've said it's gonna get cut, I know in the intro Daniel's gonna put in the part where I say, "Oh, this is gonna get cut" because he <laughs> loves to do that. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't be surprised. Are you gonna do a different theme song for this one? What what even would the song be? Was there? There a was score? a song they used in the movie that I found already. What's the song? Hey, where's Barry? You got no time for the messenger. Oh, there you are, Barry. Got no regard for the thing that you don't this movie, it feels like it's of that era where there should have been like a showstopper musical number that was like, oh, isn't this funny that we're doing this? It does feel very strange that, uh, yeah, that at no point does Zac Efron get on the stage at a school dance to yeah. like bring the house down. But that <laughs> might also be me uh, making, I will make lots of comparisons between this movie and Back to the Future because this is has a lot of similarities to Back to the Future, well, even though it's way, way worse. They, <laughs> but it does feel like he needs to have that moment, yeah. that Marty McFly moment. You guys know all those like Wordle spinoffs that they have? There's, yes. there's, there's one that, well, yeah, there's Brand Action, you know, Box Office Game. There's one that's called Framed, where it's like they do um like a bit different movie every day, and like they show you like six frames from the movie. Oh, cool. The one for today, there was like images, like all these random images that like could have been from any type of movie. Like they're all like dystopian sci-fi movie, and there was some, I, I it was just kind of this weird thing where like every image I was seeing, I was like, all right, is this 2001 A Space Odyssey? Is this like, uh, um, what's that? Uh, is this like Running Man? What is this? And then the last image was Marty McFly and Doc Brown. So I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I've been thinking around the entire time. <laughs> what if it wasn't Back to the Future and it was like a movie where they just watch Back to the Future in it? <laughs> oh man, that actually be really good. It was Back to the Future 2 though. Because Back to the Future 1, I think I would ha- be comfortable enough to know like the images from Back to the Future 2 I've never seen. So You've never seen Back to the Future Part 2? I've never no. seen Back to the Future Part 2. What? Oh, Oh my god, how do you guys understand anything about the first movie without having seen the completed trilogy? It's so important. The thing about Back to the Future Part 2, do you guys know like the general plot? Biff, old Biff goes back in time and gives young Biff a sports almanac from 2015. And then Biff becomes like the most powerful man in the world because he gambles on sports and gets it right every single time because he has this sports almanac. And he has like this giant building with his name on it and he owns all these casinos and stuff. And he's he's Donald Trump. And the whole thing, oh, yeah, yeah. the whole joke is that Biff is being this, he's this huge asshole with all this money. And it's like, very obviously a reference to like just like he's got shitty hair now and like his names and lights like it's Donald Trump and like Zemeckis is like yeah no we were doing like it's not like a secret you know and so I wonder watching it now like now it would feel sort of like a lazy joke but at the time it was very funny because it was the 80s but like Mm -hmm. I wonder if it would be good now or just sort of like we get it this guy sucks like we know man it's kind of weird to think about the politics of Back to the Future versus Home Alone to realize (laughs) that Back to the Future is like the liberal left-wing quintessential 80s 90s film franchise whereas home alone is like the conservative right-wing kid rock style uh franchise pretty much yeah Yeah. oh definitely home alone is about rugged individualism yes and how and how you need to protect your castle as everyone is always trying to invade it pro second amendment the whole time yeah though also they should
should have just given him a gun. I would watch the shit out of a movie. <laughs> I'd watch the shit out of a movie where Macaulay Culkin is just shooting people in New York. Uh, welcome to the show. <laughs> that feels like a good segue, is it? <laughs> Uh, this is the show We're Not Here to Watch Friends, uh, the podcast about the friends' careers outside of the show Friends by two friends, Brandon and Daniel. Hey, Daniel. Hey, Brandon. Uh, today we have a guest, former reliever of the Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh, oh, crap. Fuck. Wait. <laughs> I fucked Hi. up my own joke. <laughs> Hi, everyone. My name is Sandy. I am uh, I am not a baseball player. I was going to say that she played for the Expos, as Daniel suggested, and then I forgot to do that. But welcome. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Sandy. How you doing? I am doing okay. It's good to see you too. Uh, today we are going to be talking about Matthew Perry again. We haven't really we kind of went away from him for a bit. I covered a bunch of other stuff, but we're back on back on the Perry beat with uh, the 2009 film Seventeen again, starring Matthew Perry and uh, Zac Efron and Leslie Mann. Another Leslie Mann. Yeah, we're doing a Leslie Mann marathon accidentally. The Manathon. The Leslie Manathon. The Man. And the myth, the legend. Yes, two ends. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a good nickname for her, like the man with like two ends. Myth, yeah. She is. She she should have been in She's the Man. She was. She was? Oh, no, no, she's a man. I was thinking she's the one. Yeah. No. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm going to confuse She's a Man and She's a One probably for the rest of my life now, unfortunately. <laughs> Why? They, they're they not very similar at all. They're pretty similar if you think about it's, it. She's the uh, gets him confused. He thinks all women are the same. Yeah. It's, uh... <laughs> it's true. Yeah. But I don't know. I think like both of them are kind of the same movie if you think about it. It's about a person who is lying to a lot of other people about what they're doing with their life. Okay, but that's all movies. If you think about it, they have a lot in common. You know, they're both stories told through this medium. And it's like, come on, man. <laughs> I'm sure Edward Burns probably did a pass at She's the Man, right? I like, can did you imagine him. an Edward Burns She's the Man? It would be, I mean, I, I don't really remember She's the Man being particularly good in the first <laughs> place, but an Edward Burns version of it would be awful. Him and that one guy would just be brothers again. Yeah, that's a good point. And they'd be like, why are you in this movie? This is a movie about teenagers. <laughs> but Amanda Bine in She's the One, probably fine. Probably basically the same movie. Yeah, it would be slightly different because she would be 10 years old. And it'd be yeah. a little weird that she was dating Edward Burns. She would play the Leslie Mann part, right? 10-year-old Amanda Bynes as the best friend bartender. Who works at the bar. <laughs> amazing i would totally watch that movie yeah everyone go listen to last episode so you can sort of understand what we're talking about (laughs) (laughs) but don't watch the movie that's an hour and a half gone yeah yeah it's not very good which you would know if you listen to the podcast that's longer than the runtime of the movie probably (laughs) speaking of runtimes though this movie clocks in a pretty short runtime how long is it hour 42 that's an hour and 42 minutes too long (laughs) this movie was a huge piece of garbage <laughs> I think this is the first time that we've ever differed on a movie so extremely because I actually really like this movie. I hate this movie. And when when Brandon said that he was doing a Matthew Perry podcast, I said, oh, I need to be on for 17 again. I hate that movie um, and watched it again for this. And yep, it, it didn't get any better since the last time I watched it. But I just think so much about that scene where finally someone stands up for the little guy, for the for the perennial underdog. Finally, someone is willing to say that abstinence-only sex education is the way to go. 
and it gets him laid. Everyone loves him for it. And, oh God. I think I read that scene differently than you did maybe. But like you obviously are the expert on this movie, which we can get to later. Real quick, the plot of the movie, Matthew Perry is this, you know, late thirties guy who's losing his family, doesn't really keep track of his kids. Clearly his life is not what he thought it would be when he was 17 and uh, married his high school sweetheart because she was pregnant. So a janitor turns him into a 17 year old again. So he goes to school with his kids and tries to help them through life and then figure out how to get out of his, you know, 17 year old body and back to his new body and maybe improve his life along the way. But the scene where he's in the, the like the sex ed class and he's the whole time just trying to explain why abs- abstinence is good. I thought that was pretty funny. Just like sort of his like overbearingness on it. The teacher was just like, okay, like I, you know, we're supposed to tell you abstinence is good, but like obviously we can't control what you do. So we're going to try to help you have practice safe sex. So here's some condoms to help you out. And like, uh, I guess, should we just call him the main character or should we call him Zac Efron and Matthew Perry for whenever it's them on screen? What is the character's name? Do I, why would that be? <laughs> okay, the character's name is, well, okay, that's also confusing too because he goes by a different name when he is trying to pretend to be somebody else. But his name is Mike. All right, Mike. And then Mike he, O'Donnell. And then he goes by Mark. 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 Yeah. Oh, God. This I fucking think we movie. should, I think that when describing this movie, we should call them Zac Efron and Matthew Perry. I think that that's actually going to clear up a lot of confusion. <laughs> so, I feel like Zac Efron being so over the top on it, took, which basically like freaked out his daughter. And she was like, what the fuck is this guy doing? No, I made her want to fuck him. It, that's what spurred the whole reverse back to the future situation, which a reverse back to the future where it's daughter preying on, on father <laughs> is way worse than a real back to the future situation, mother and son. Um, not that either one is fantastic, but uh, he stands up for abstinence and the music swells and all of his female classmates suddenly see how sexy he is and then it makes his daughter want to fuck him. It, it makes me very mad. <laughs> I feel like I, I took it more maybe as manipulates women by like doing having something talking about something cute or like you know they every single sitcom would always have like the like guy like some uncle or whatever bring the baby around to like try and get like women from the park or something so it kind of has that a little bit but i don't know for some reason the way the scene was sold was better to me than it should have been i thought there are some moments of this movie that are kind of funny but i find them funny in like a very deeply cringy kind of way and then there are some moments that are just straight up cringy and for me the absolute Substance only scene and every single scene between the best friend and the principal all like uh, oh, yeah. just make me want to like throw my head in my hands that is just so uncomfortable yeah i mean let's talk about that real quick so while matthew perry is a teenager again and trying to reconnect with his children and his uh uh soon-to-be ex-wife um he's living with his high school best friend who this is such a weird trope of this era too of like 2009 of like the nerd from high school is now very very rich and just owns a bunch of memorabilia which it was a trope now and is nowadays just what reality is you know like Funko Pops is like a billion dollar industry yeah <laughs> like it sucks Tom Tom Lennon is wildly misused here um who I, I like him and he just uh, he plays like this creepy dude who just sucks and is like really aggressively um hitting on the principal who is played by 
Jan from The Office. Yeah, Laura um, Hardin. Most yeah. well known now for being on the most recent or second most most recent season of Dancing with the Stars. Really? Yeah. yeah. She was really oh. good. She got robbed a bit. Who uh who beat her? Um I'm trying to remember now what season it was that she was on. I think she was on the most recent one. Um, I'm gonna venture a guess that more people have seen The Office than the most recent season of Dancing with the Stars. And wow. so saying that she's most known for that is maybe not true. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, Dancing with the Stars, how dare you? That show is so well known that they're pushing it off the network and moving it to streaming. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, is it going to be on Peacock? It's going to be on Disney+. Plus. Oh. Is it is Dancing with the Stars not an NBC show? It's ABC. Oh. Is Mass Singer an NBC show? It's Fox. God damn it. What- Are you going to ask for... Ask about Survivor next. Uh, is Survivor an NBC show? No, it's CBS. <laughs> What's what's the NBC like big real? Is it? I think The Voice and America's Got Talent. Oh, uh, The Voice. That's what I was thinking of. Or America's Got Talent. Which I think it might have snagged American Idol actually too, because American Idol switched networks. Is Ryan Seacrest still going to be the host? I mean, it's on like American Idol. <laughs> This is a good segue back to this uh, movie, which is, it's not like new to have a, a B plot of this type of movie to be like, oh, and then the nerd is going to be pursuing like the the hot lady the whole time and he's getting into goofy hijinks and stuff. But it just fucking sucks that then it's like, oh, you're a nerd. I'm actually a huge nerd too. And now we're in love. And it's just like. It's very unearned. It yeah. just goes from him stalking her kind of unrelentlessly to suddenly a switch is flipped and suddenly she's in love with him. Yeah, and like blackmailing her too a little. Like, um, like he, you know, he's like, oh, I'll buy a computer for everyone in the school if you go on a date with me. I guess that's not blackmail, but it is a form of extortion for sure. And it's just, oh, yeah. uh, it's very gross. It was a little bit weird. Um, I didn't like that plot at all. Just, I mean, I, I actually like this movie somewhat enough, but that plot, I didn't really enjoy too much. I think Thomas Lennon, when he was talking to Zac Efron was funny, but but any of the plot involving him with Melora Hardin, I was not a huge fan of. I actually, I will say, I wrote down maybe my my favorite line of the movie, which there were not a lot to choose from, but it was a Tom Lennon when, you know, where, where, you know, he's, when they're trying to figure out what has happened to Matthew Perry, because apparently Big and 13 going on 30 don't exist within the 17 again universe. You know, they're trying to figure out what's going on. Um, and, you know, yes, like, are you a vampire or a cyborg no 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 and he says well a vampire wouldn't tell and a cyborg wouldn't know (laughs) (laughs) that was that was pretty good you know that's uh because you know what's true can't can't trust anybody a vampire wouldn't tell and a cyborg wouldn't know yeah (laughs) that's pretty funny um it does really bother me in movies like this when there's like a pop culture nerd character who doesn't like acknowledge that they are in a movie situation like you know lampshaded a little bit you know just be like oh you're in a reverse big brandon and i were talking about this a lot as we were watching it that we think that if if either of us were ever in a 17 again situation we would not do all these wacky hijinks we'd turn to the other and say hey i think i'm in a 17 again situation Um, I do like that the magic of this is not ever explained. Like, I, I hate it when a movie spends a lot of time, like, dealing with the lore. It's like, no, no, no. There's, like, an old janitor 
who is like secretly a warlock or something. And he's 17 again. Don't worry about it. Just, just hop on board. That is like a good uh, like plot thing, though. I made a note uh, in my notes that said movies back then wrote exposition, assuming you had, al- had already seen the trailer. Yes. <laughs> like the, the, the first 10 minutes of this movie are very much assuming that you are watching it, knowing that Matthew Perry is going to turn into Zac Efron and that like you're already sort of bought into this. It doesn't over explain it. And like the way when you first see the janitor and there's like a twinkle in his eye and you're like, oh, well, he's probably the one who's going to do the 17 again. Uh, which also like that brings up another thing I actually sort of enjoyed, which is when uh, Zach Efron first goes to the school and just starts badgering students asking where the janitor is. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Just anything Zach Efron did where it was something that a normal high school student would not do for some reason made me laugh. Um, I think this movie sort of probably opened the floodgates for him to be in, you know, Neighbors, Neighbors 2, Baywatch, all that stuff. I do really like Neighbors. I do really like Neighbors. And I think that Zach Efron is, ver- is a very funny actor but throughout he's not i don't think that he's actually that funny in this movie every joke is either him just wearing tom hardy or no ed hardy uh yeah, Hardy. yeah that's right if he tom was wearing hardy tom is, hardy that would be cool <laughs> tom hardy is a different thing you were wearing tom hardy circa 2009 and wore year from like yeah. yeah every joke is either him just like doing something wrong or doing a matthew perry impression he's not like telling any jokes in this movie i i actually was reading uh on the imdb trivia which is the extent of research i do for these episodes <laughs> is that zach efron and like matthew perry before they started recording like would spend time together and Zach would be trying to like copy his mannerisms which feels very backwards it's like he gets the lion's share of screen time and he's doing a Matthew Perry impression the whole time Matthew Perry should just do a Zach Efron impression for the five minutes he's on camera speaking of that I've listened to the podcast Dead Eyes like the one about the comedian Connor Ratliff trying to get Tom Hanks to be on the show to talk about how he fired him from Man of Brothers (laughs) and they had an episode where they talked to a lot of child actors who played younger versions of Tom Hanks. So they had the kid on from Big, and he was talking about how Tom Hanks basically just hung out with him and his friends for a few days. They'd go to, like, amusement parks and, like, the mall just so Tom Hanks could learn how to sort of copy the kids' mannerisms. And similarly with, like, Forrest Gump, the accent from Forrest Gump is because of the kid who was cast as younger Tom Hanks. Like, Tom Hanks didn't come up with that accent. He had a terrible accent before they did that. And then, because of the kid they cast had the Forrest Gump accent, Tom Hanks just use the Forrest Gump accent. So that seems to happen a lot where the person with the lion share of the screen time copies from the other person, uh, which I'm not sure why. It doesn't really make much sense, but... Yeah. It- I think Actually, although having heard that anecdote, it might just be that the better actor mimics <laughs> the less good actor. <laughs> <laughs> that could be it too, actually. Uh, and like, I guess in like defense of that too, is like Matthew Perry can't stop being... Like Matthew Perry is just... He's all ticks and quirks and stuff and Zac Efron he's not a bad actor but he doesn't have like things he's known for you know and like Matthew Perry is very known for like a very specific way he delivers lines and stuff and so if Matthew Perry was trying to do a Zac Efron he would just do a Matthew Perry doing a Zac 
Zac Efron. You know, he can't turn it off. Um, so it makes sense. It's weird, but it does. I guess I've just talked myself into it. And I think it makes it funnier to have him try to be Matthew Perry because that makes Zac Efron's character look even weirder than he already is. Yeah. So by having that occur, that makes it funnier since he's not acting like Zac Efron would act. Yeah. Do you think this is just sort of a side note? Do you think that if one of your high school friends uh, were all in our like late 20s, um, do you think if one of your high school friends turned into a like themselves at high school again, you would recognize them, right? Like, oh, yeah. The whole thing that no one knows who he is. It's like, no, it's fucking him. It's the same guy. He just has long hair and less like wrinkles. Come on. Which is why I kind of the scene was sort of close to problematic, but not really, I guess, since it's, I don't know. We, that's a whole other topic. But the scene where Leslie Mann first sees him and she just spends so much time being like, no, no, that is, looks exactly like him to like uh, her friend, Nicole Sullivan, who yeah. was so under just in disguise in this movie, wearing like a, I don't know if it was like a, she was wearing, like she dyed her hair, but yeah. Oh yeah, she had those like huge sunglasses. Yeah, she very much felt like she was hiding. Um, Can you blame her for hiding the fact that she was in this movie? <laughs> it seemed like a lot of people were dying their hair for this movie um because thomas london had those sort of frosted tips oh my god yeah that those frosted tips even in in 2009 those were weird that feels like it should have been uh like 10 years before this movie came out to do that was like late 90s early 2000s yeah and then uh hunter parrish who played the bully he does not usually have that bleach blonde hair that he has in this because he's in weeds and in weeds he did not look like that at all i completely forgot about this character already <laughs> <laughs> the other thing like just looking at my notes now the the thing that i thought um was really funny is so this movie is like he was like a basketball star in high school um and the whole thing is like he's like he was gonna go to college on a scholarship and be a basketball star in college and then he missed the opportunity because he had kids so there's like a lot of basketball in this movie but the no one knows anything about basketball at all <laughs> like there's a part where he's talking to his son and he's like he's like wow you're really good at you know how to do everything there is to know how to do in basketball passing and dribbling <laughs> <laughs> like no mention of like like they don't even say like pick and roll at any point you know like there's just like very like bog standard like ah we know very little of how this sport works <laughs> yeah this movie does a worse job explaining basketball than high school musical did <laughs> yeah i uh zach efron though uh did all of the basketball stuff like for real i can believe it he's like actually good at basketball i absolutely believe that he learned at least that level of basketball skills for high school musical and not for any other reason. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the scene in the, like, the scene in the uh, cafeteria where he's, like, palming and spinning the ball and stuff like that, like, it looks pretty cool. And I'm like, yeah, I kind of wish I was watching High School Musical right now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, now that none of the basketball stuff he did looked super hard to do, but it was so funny that they like made a point to focus in on him doing all that stuff at certain points to show how good he is at basketball, as if that's all there is to it. Yeah. Like, they were like, oh, this guy is a Harlem Globetrotter, basically. <laughs> He's the best basketball player ever. He'll be he'll be scouted by Ohio State immediately. Yeah. That I, is I'm sorry, he'll be he'll be scouted by whom? Who was it who was this? 
uh, team in this. Who was this uh, college? It was the Ohio State University. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, also, I love how the scout was the same scout from 20 years ago. <laughs> same person scouting for for OSU and for Syracuse. And like, they're not in the same league, are well, they? Well, also, I don't think scouts can, like, I don't think scouts work for multiple places, you know? <laughs> Where's his paycheck coming from here? <laughs> and also imagine having to go to this dumb high school somewhere to have to scout and probably the last time this guy had a scout at this high school was for zach efron previously so he goes to the high school gets like a picture of the guy and says huh 22 years ago i came and scouted this high school for a guy with this exact same skill set because they probably know the skill set very well wasn't it wasn't it 17 years ago? No, it was 20. It was 89 to 2009. Well, then how does the math work out that the kid they had was in high school? Shouldn't she be 19 or 20? <laughs> okay, no, I guess I guess you're right then. I Yeah, I guess he's... Unless they have like a college-age kid that just never shows up. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think... Here's my theory. So what happened was it was almost his 18th birthday on the day that uh, she was pregnant so he was his birthday was the next day when she was pregnant so he was technically 17 still when she announced her pregnancy to him um and then the daughter had to uh, do kindergarten twice she had to like re kindergarten um so she's technically and that actually makes it fine that he almost slept with her no <laughs> <laughs> It still doesn't for other reasons. Um, so back to the Thomas London thing. Another line I did like was when he was when he's attacking Zach Efron when he doesn't know who he is. I actually enjoyed the whole scene just because he basically was destroying his entire place. I thought that was sort of funny. And when Zach when Zach Efron kept saying, "What about this?" and then uh, Thomas London would be like, "No, that can't be right." And then one of the things he said was, "I know you like you asked this person out to junior prom." And then Thomas London says, "Reported by local news." <laughs> <laughs> in 2009 it probably would have been more fun to be like oh look at all the cool shit he has but um two characters fighting with weapons from different uh franchises and stuff is just like a thing that happens in every movie now so it wasn't yeah that's not really the movie's fault though but yeah i mean that scene was in all the bad scenes in this movie this one was okay i guess I enjoyed it. Um, also, so uh, to talk about something bad, something that I did not like about this movie, uh, which was kind of going, uh, sort of bringing back to the conversation we talked about, about how the trailer made it so they didn't really explain the plot that much. But yeah. one thing they did want to explain very carefully was everyone's relationship to every other character and specifically what they were doing in that like minute of time. Like they would have a scene where they would have someone, like when Zac Efron first sees his girlfriend when like in the flashback scene, he says, oh, who's that? Oh look, it's my girlfriend. Uh, another <laughs> character who clearly is his best friend, supposedly, and knows his girlfriend very well. Uh, and then he says to that actual same character, just to make sure we know they're best friends, he says to him, Look, you're my best friend. <laughs> which is a classic line that everyone says in a movie from high school in the 2000s. Movies always have to do stuff like that to just like establish things, but it is funny that this movie did it in the most like like trim in the fat way. Like, we're just going to like tell you what's happening, you know. No. And it wasn't the worst way of doing it. It was just a very clear way of doing it that was transparent. Yeah. Um, I really hate.
hate like while it's like establishing, you know, everything about um, Matthew Perry and like, you know, we see him as an adult and like his life sucks. The the fucking scene at work where he gets like passed over for the promotion and it's just like just it pans and it's like, look, he's the only person who isn't a young hot lady who works here. So, of course, he's not getting the promotion. Um, but the other thing is they say he's the top earner, like he's the best sales guy. And then he's poor and it's like pharmaceutical sales reps work on commission. This guy would be making like $250,000 a year. Yeah, no, well, that scene at work was just unreal. Just like the I, I, the way it's the way it was shot very much felt like, you know, like you're trying to generate sympathy with the audience. So can you believe that a lady got a promotion even though there's a man right here? <laughs> like it, it, it was, I mean, it, you know, I, I'm sure that all those young women were total bitches or whatever but like it very much feels like you know that's how we're gonna bring him in is the shock that a woman could get a promotion and then he comes home and remembers that all the activist judges are making his wife divorce him um (laughs) there's a lot of like family court content in this movie um and you know the the destroying the bitch activist judges this is like a week from a weird snapshot in time where pharmaceutical sales reps were just like like a weird part of the culture so this movie where he's like the only guy then in how i met your mother there's an episode where barney's like oh the this is the hottest job a woman can have right now and then also you know fans are about to shout oh my god he made the reference in psych (laughs) psych it's the whole joke is that gus is a pharmaceutical sales rep and like they make jokes about oh he's not a sexy lady doing this you know this was a couple years after 17 again but in new girl um uh what's her face reagan is a pharmaceutical sales rep yeah. um, because that's because she's a sexy lady and that's the sexiest job you can have yeah when that scene happened i still hated this movie <laughs> which i'm pretty sure means that i just did not like matthew perry's part of this movie <laughs> but i like Zac efron's part <laughs> yeah uh something that is a reoccurring thing i've noticed while doing this podcast is actually all the women uh from friends i think are good in other things and then everything else i watch i'm like these guys kind of suck they're men in 90s sitcoms i think had less acting needed in order to do their roles usually because they all were the same person most of the time especially like it seems like in i think i mean that's probably a bit too uh glossing over things but i mean like you know in seinfeld julie Louis dreyfus is the best actor in that show like hands down um frazier you can get a little bit shakier because david hyde pierce is really good um but well jason alexander is also like doing something kind of special in seinfeld but like but but jerry and kramer and said fraser and yeah i mean i i see i definitely i agree with your general point that but yeah the, I, I do think that david hyde pierce and jason alexander are two geniuses they're both very good okay i'll give you jason alexander um but yeah no kramer and seinfeld is mostly who's referring to words seems like they are they were just mostly cast just to be themselves or be the person without really, yeah. are you telling me that you think jerry seinfeld in the tv show seinfeld is playing himself <laughs> <laughs> well, Michael Richards was famously holding it in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Knowing that, he's actually a very good actor. <laughs> they actually had about like thirty minutes each episode where he would go on a rant. They just had to cut it out in post production. He he also does like the beginning, like the bookend stand up sets. <laughs> 
<laughs> no. It's just, just at the Laugh Factory. <laughs> there should have been like a Mad TV sketch around that time period where that happened. Um, <laughs> coming in, barging in during like a Jerry Seinfeld stand-up set and started to say his stuff. Uh, it should have been a Mad TV sketch, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so I, w- I want to ask you, though, um, you said that, you know, the, the pharmaceutical stuff was when you still hated the movie. So what was the point that won you over? Okay, so the scene that won me over sim- simultaneously won me over, and I also thought it was sort of stupid, which I guess is every scene in this movie, sort of. But the scene where the um, Zac Efron is given, is, comes to school thinking he's going to be, like, hot shit again before he goes and becomes a normal high schooler again. Like, he wears all this, like, very, like, cool kid in 80s clothing. Um, and he walks in the to the song "The Underdog" by Spoon, uh, which I was great song. Maybe it's pandered to me possibly because I love Spoon. But when he's walking up and like all these kids are staring at him, you're not really sure what their thoughts are on him really. But like everyone's looking at him and it's supposed to be like, wow, he's really nailing this. Um, and then he like walks up and uh, like he like walks into the school and then anyone who like runs into him like kind of like pushes him or like gives him shit for like looking like a douchebag. Um, that scene made me think, oh, this movie might actually try to have a lot of humor in Zac Efron being misplaced in this school sort of, which it did. And the part of the reason why I hated that scene though was that whoever edited that scene needed to do a second take because that scene had the most cuts i've ever seen in a scene oh my god yeah i remember that um or taken three i guess but the cuts in that scene were ridiculous like they would cut from zach efron walking up to the door of the high school and then walking up the stairs to get to the other hallway which was ridiculous and then the idea that once he walks up the stairs like to the second floor everyone gets out of class which makes no sense because everyone was outside not in the classroom (laughs) it's presumed to be the beginning of the day so the reasoning for that does not seem to check out to me personally yeah um i was thinking also of like movies that have done this better and like how good uh the um jonah hill chatting tatum uh 21 jump street is where like where they have to go back to high school and they think that they're going to be cool and then it's like they're and the whole joke is like oh no like you guys were shitty bullies back when you were in high school and now everyone's way nicer to each other which is it's because this movie is like the kids are wrong you know and uh, Matthew Perry is right or Zac Efron you know like actually the 80s were way better and the kids are wrong these days and it it just works better when it's like no you're old and out of touch and the kids are actually fine and that's like 21 Jump Street does that in such a good way compared to this yeah I mean there's certain times where this movie has a little bit of a sprinkle of the kids who are actually right or just let the kids be themselves and they will figure out their life lessons um, sometimes like they have like the daughter do a lot of things correctly but yeah the they didn't really give her much to do beyond that that was yeah not stereotypical for a 17 year old although the scene where she has the headphones in but there's nothing plugged into them was funny when they were in the ice cream shop (laughs) that was pretty good that was that was pretty funny but i did feel like a lot of the scenes with her were just like you know this dumb broad is throwing it all away for her dumb high school boyfriend which like fine okay you know that's that's a very common you know this movie is not you know unique in that and that sort of plot line and you know Michelle Trachtenberg is great and like you know does all of those scenes really well I I don't know I guess I something that really struck me about the movie is how you know again my my maybe uncharitable read of it is it's all about how you know the the activist judges are taking away our children and our marriages Um, but he has no idea what's going on with his kids lives 
at all in any way. He's like a really bad father. And, you know, and, and, and by like becoming 17 again, he can learn more about his kids and put himself in their shoes and, and, and all, all of this bullshit. But like, you know, how would you, how would you not know that your kid applied to Georgetown? Like, how is it, you know, how are all of these things turning out to be surprises? And then it's a surprise that she's going to turn it down to be with her boyfriend. Like it just, well, yeah, Leslie Mann is divorcing you, dude. You don't, <laughs> you don't have anything that's going on here. Well, and also he never gets his comeuppance. Like he goes through all this stuff and is like, oh, wow, I don't really know my kids at all. And the movie doesn't end with him. Like he doesn't, there's no like moment of like, oh, I've, I'm wrong here and I need to change. It's his big like speech is just like, I will be a better husband to you. There's no like specifics of like what, like everything he did when he was 18 or 17. And then as an adult, like the whole thing is like, you were right. Uh, Being 17 was good. And uh, everything you did back then ruled and abstinence and like the, the, you know, abstinence only education. And this judge is kind of being a dick to you. And so there's no like, he doesn't learn anything. He doesn't grow as a character any real way. It's just, he just gets what he wants at the end. And the only way that he actually like connects with his son as a way, you know, the only, the only growth that he does is teaching his son to be good at basketball like him, because that's what, that's what the O'Donnells do is we're good at (laughs) basketball and you have to be just like me. Yeah. Uh, so the ju- actually I feel like the judge there's a little bit more nuanced to her character than that mostly just because once once they like once Leslie Mann asked the judge for a like extension for the trial or like a 30 day like delay for it the judge doesn't mean just like alright fine whatever next case like she doesn't give a shit she just like I don't care about your personal story I just want my court cases done um, so I thought that was nice also a little bit of a connection here the judge Diana Maria Riva uh, is in Studio 60 as one of the assistant producers I believe to Timothy Busfield. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, uh, she's in a few episodes. Recognized her immediately and was like, oh, wow, we're going to just have a Studio 60 person in every other thing we watch, pretty much. Uh, But I think that the comeuppance thing, I have to assume that was just lost to the either the editing room or they didn't have enough days to film it because that last scene was so rushed when clearly the way that last scene would have gone in a movie that wasn't rushed was that he would come back on the court and help the son, I guess, like basically take over the basketball game probably. Probably like he would help him be, he'd help him learn the confidence to, I mean, cause he, they made the mistake of giving the son the game winning shot like an hour ago where the son <laughs> gets to do the buzzer beater shot. That should have been the last scene of the movie in order to then establish the son as knowing as, you know, being good at basketball and also being confident. But instead the last scene is uh, when Matt, when Zach Efron turns back into Matthew Perry, Matthew Perry and Leslie Mann walk out of the high school, leaving their children behind. <laughs> 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 which definitely feels like there was another scene that was supposed to be there that just was not yeah yeah and and you know i said earlier that i'm i was happy that they didn't explain the magic at all and they just kind of got to the point but also it's very unclear what he did to like earn his adulthood back you the know? exact same thing he he earned his adulthood back by making exactly the same decision that he made when he was 17 and doing it, everything exactly the same way um which like you know the i feel like the logic of a lot of 
these movies are about like, you know, you'll be back once you, once you get right back on your path or you make the decision that make, and the decision, the thing that gets you back on your path is that you were right the whole time. No notes, <laughs> no, nothing. And, but which part of, you know, part of the element of adding magic to this, that this is like supernatural and that reinforcing that this was the right decision sort of is saying that like the life that he had is the best life he possibly could ask for like there is not a there is no alternative to him like being poor and getting divorced and 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 his kids hate him however however contrived that may feel but it's like that is the best possible life he can ask for because that's because choosing the best possible life is what breaks the spell and brings the yeah. brings it back which home. which like you can't change your past and you know you should be happy with what you have is a perfectly fine lesson for a movie to have but it's so muddled and unclear that it doesn't really scan as that being the lesson you know yeah no i so this is maybe like what what daniel was talking about with like you know i'm the i'm the expert on 17 again but i i i wrote this um this paper like a, a while ago um about like spe- the specific you know hopelessness of teen movies that came out immediately after the 2008 financial crisis which this is like a thing I swear to god it's a thing if I ever go to grad school this is going to be my thesis um, but like movies what are you studying in grad school where this is going to be your thesis <laughs> 2009 teen movies you know, teen movies used to be teen movies used to have some element of hope you know like like oh we're going to have one last summer and the, together and then we're going to live our great lives or like you know or 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 the goonies find all this money at the end and they're gonna save their town and you know there's a there's a journey but it, the journey ends in hope and then yeah you i stand at, by me and then you look at you know like pro- project <laughs> you thought you were gonna let that one slip by me <laughs> No, then you look at like Project X where you know you may as well throw this big party because we're about to have our lives completely ruined but with student debt and there's nothing else we can do about this or um, you know I love you Beth Cooper where everything that has happened is the best that my life is ever going to get there is no alternative in 17 again this is this is the best life is going to ever happen that's it end of story this is the best you can possibly get can I pitch you two alternative ideas for this movie real quick yes so first one is what if the alternative was uh zach efron was not allowed to turn back into matthew perry he had to just go back through life but this time he was 17 year old zach efron in his life and he could not be the father to his kids without it being weird so he just kind of became their friend that they all just know as their dad and they have no and like he basically has to in 2009 he's not allowed to change back to matthew perry and okay. his life is that he just is zach efron for the rest of his life now i like that i okay. like that um second alternative what if this movie had no fantastical element and the idea was that matthew perry went back to high school in disguise (laughs) (laughs) 17 year old zach efron self in like a like a billy madison way or a more of like a um like going undercover like 21 jump street way well i've never seen billy madison so i just dismissed that without even knowing what happens in it but in like in my mind it's like under it's kind of undercover boss way okay so so real quick the premise of billy madison is that he is an adult who never finished grade school and his dad is gonna give him the like the company and his fortune but he 
has to finish school. So he goes and like spends one week in each grade. So everyone knows he's an adult. He's not like undercover. Oh, then no, not like that at all. Okay. No, no. He ha- he's somebody who is 39 years old or 37, whatever. And he goes back to high school, like wearing under, I guess you can't do a fake mustache because that would be a little bit even weirder, but so, he would have like fake hair or something. So this is, this is my pitch, which I, I like this idea, but it's like, he's like, I'm going to wear a disguise. And then you see him putting on a disguise and then he comes out and it's just Zac Efron. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, wow, this disguise is really good. You look like a 17 year old. <laughs> um, and then there's just like random parts of the movie where like you would have to do like a lot of like CGI to make it work, but like, oh no, like those mask is slipping and then you just like put Matthew Perry superimpose his face over Zac Efron or whatever yeah it's like the Mission Impossible thing yeah 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 yeah. that'd be funny they 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 could have done that and it would have worked in fact actually I've never this is the first time I saw this movie and I did not realize that the movie was that he was turned into a 17 year old I thought the movie was that he was going back to the 80s but he knew what he knew now yeah which again probably a better premise um is if he like truly went back in time um Although I actually want to push back against, you know, against what Daniel was just saying, you know, because, because there is never any point in this movie where it's like, oh, you have to go back to high school. You know, and the, 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 the janitor turns him 17 again, but doesn't doesn't really say anything from there. You know, the, the only reason that he goes back to high school is to see the janitor again. But there is no, he doesn't really have an objective within the high school. So I, I you know, I'm not sure if he if he did just do a, a Mission Impossible thing, why would he go back to the high school? They, he's not looking for anybody. He's not looking for the janitor. Yeah, the whole thing really, really hinges on the conversation him and Tom Lennon have about like what a plot is <laughs> they're just like oh yeah have you ever read a hero with a thousand faces <laughs> um, I, this movie would have been better if there was a scene like the scene in uh it's always sunny in philadelphia's episode the gang turns black where they're trying to figure out what situation they're in and they're like fighting over whether it's a like a quantum leap or a free Freaky Friday situation. If the mo- this movie would have been way better if there had been an explicit discussion about goals, yeah, well, <laughs> well, like what they're trying to achieve. Well, they kind of do it where he talks about like you know you have to like choose the path, like go on the path or whatever. But it's done better in uh, that Always Sunny episode. Or they could have just had a Freaky Friday explanation where it's like you know it's like oh until you understand each other you are stuck here. You know, like have one more scene with the janitor who is just like gives him the directive of what to do i it's almost interesting that there is no directive and they just sort of make it up but it needs a little bit more guidance i would say yeah i mean it seems like they sort of drop the janitor plot for most of it and i'm i is the re i don't know the reason for that is is it possible that it's because the janitor was busy filming a recurring role on the middle possibly (laughs) not or maybe he was hanging out with his brother Bill Murray because Brandel Murray is the janitor. Oh, really? <laughs> oh that's, Bri- that's Bill Murray's yeah. brother. Oh my god. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the janitor plot was very underdeveloped. Um, it was sort of, it was just, I don't even understand why they made him a janitor because it didn't really matter for anything besides just the opening scene of seeing him. So very weird. Um, yeah. also one thing I want to, two things I want to point about the flashback versus now, uh, first thing, uh, Thomas Lennon in the flashback has 
blonde hair and in the future he has like brown hair with like frosted tips to make him look blonde does that mean that they cast younger thomas lennon after they cast thomas lennon and they did not want to have to dye the younger version's hair or dye the older version's hair entirely so they're like all right we'll make you think he's still basically dirty blonde even though it's just (laughs) frosted tips with dark brown hair but also like blonde children grow into brunette adults like that is a that is a thing that happens you know and so they really could have just left yeah the the casting of younger versions of everyone is i mean obviously like matthew perry you you gotta you gotta get zach efron so like it doesn't that one is gonna be bad but everyone else it's like you you could have picked someone who looked even slightly like them you know yeah like allison miller uh does not look that much like leslie man but Um, she's of the three she's the best one well the best one is jim gaffigan with a dyed beard but <laughs> the reason why she's the best one is because they dye her hair yeah it's yeah not allison miller's hair allison miller usually does not have that hairstyle because everyone in this movie has dyed hair for some reason <laughs> but allison miller famously also in another matthew perry project a couple of years ago go on oh uh, nice she does not look like that in real life at all everyone in this movie looks so different so i never recognized i didn't recognize like half the cast because of that yeah. uh another thing i want to mention about the flashback it seemed i could be wrong but in the flashback scene they have a sort of offensive Native American headdress character. And then in the current day one, I don't think we see that character. Is that supposed to reference that in the 20 years since they decided that was problematic and they removed it? Or is it just because they did not want to have to deal with casting someone else for that? I was wondering about that too, because they do linger on that mascot like for a bit. And, you know, we've talked about the editing in this movie. And so I'm wondering if it's just bad editing, but it does, it spends just enough time. The shot spends just enough time on that like person dressed in the uh, Native American garb where I'm like, is this going to be important later? Like, is this going to come up? But no, it, it doesn't at all. Also, another thing to note, the uh, music dance sequences from the cheerleaders are all uh, dance to songs that are very sped up, which makes me think that they did the dance sequences before they had the music they knew they wanted to do. And then when they went back and post and realized that the stances were too fast for this music, they sped the songs up to fit it. Because otherwise, it makes no sense for why they would have those songs that were sped up like that. Yeah. They got to, well, they were trying to keep it under an hour 40, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Just got to trim, trim where you can. You got to keep it as short as possible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Because again, there's no way they could have like cut out the scenes where Michelle Trachtenberg is trying to fuck Zach Afron. Those were, those were necessary for the plot. Okay. Oh, oh, go ahead. Oh, so speaking of Michelle Trachtenberg wanting to fuck Zach Afron. I thought I I laughed at this just because of the fact that this always fucking happens. But when uh, Zach Efron really nailed Matthew Perry perfectly in the scene where she was doing that, because at one point Michelle Trachtenberg gives him the best out ever. She says, "Hey, it's okay if you're gay. We don't like. I don't like. I don't want to like. Obviously, like if you're like, she's like okay. Like she basically for a second. No, she asks, "Are you confused?" Well, she asks well, him if she, he's confused, and then she basically gives him like sort of like a he can say he's gay so that she will stop trying to fuck him but he being matthew perry's younger version is like no i can't i just he has to be the chandler where every single time someone called chandler gay he would get like really offended so he he has to say no 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 no, i'm not gay i want to point that out right this second so that she then wants to go back to fucking him which is such a batshit move to do that it is insane just by doing this podcast that we have found a through line in his career is homophobia (laughs) 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 like like is there anyone else 
who's paying attention to this kind of shit? Probably not. Bad premise for a podcast. Um, but like, it's just every single, every single episode of every single show he's in and every single movie, there's always a scene where he's like, well, I mean, I'm not gay. It's crazy. Yeah, it's constant. Yeah. Um, I have three things left in my notes that I want to uh, talk about, which is uh, the first one, they make multiple references to people being like, ooh, I want to smell her. Or like, what does she smell like? And which is fucking gross and weird. Um, and then I wrote down, this guy loves to monologue. Uh, there's so many scenes where Matthew Perry is just like giving a speech to people and to the point where it's sort of diluted. You know, he gives the abstinence only. He like uh, does another one, like, you know, at the, the fucking... Um, in the cafeteria. In, in the cafeteria. Yeah. And then, you know, at the courthouse, his monologue in the form of a letter, which I guess isn't really the same thing, but yeah. No, but it wasn't a letter. That was off the dome. Remember oh, she right, like yeah. checks the, the paper to see that it... Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Um, and then then uh, in just how hacked this movie is, there is a classic, you're on fire. No, literally, you're on fire, <laughs> Joe. Okay, I also wrote in my notes, this made me so mad, cotton denim doesn't burn. What are, what are they talking about? All of a sudden his jeans are on fire? That doesn't happen. That's not how these that's not how combustion works. <laughs> That's funny. I didn't even notice that. Um, yeah, they once like the kid's plot basically gets thrown aside at the end. They don't even have like a scene really with him sort of realizing himself and being with the. I mean, like they sort of have the cheerleader and him vaguely get together, but not really. They kind of yeah. ignore that. Like at a certain point when, uh, like in the at the party, the cheerleader and him are supposed to get together, uh, but then they just don't even really show them afterwards. Yeah, there's no real resolution to any plot except for unfortunately Tom Lennon and uh, <laughs> Jan from the office which is they just get together because they both know how to speak elvish the conclusion to that when he comes in with like the invisibility cloak uh to when he's talking to her at the basketball game was so silly because he i mean i know he probably couldn't have told i guess he could have told her though that his bet that he was actually not the father of the 17 year old yeah because later on they make it seem like she's very familiar with matthew perry's deal when matthew perry comes back to them in the post-credit scene um but like i I don't i don't know like how much she knows at that point but they could have just had thomas lynn say hey that's actually not my kid down there i've been lying to you this whole time let's hook up now wait there's a post-credit scene yeah, yeah. we we watched that it's where the um uh, uh he's co- matthew perry is coming to like return his house key or something and it's and oh and yeah it turns yeah. out that the tom lennon and jan from the office are in the same bed yeah yeah oh yeah because he's now like the coach of the basketball team which great foreshadowing by the way i will give them some credit when they mentioned earlier in the movie that it was Jim Gaffigan's last year as the basketball coach, that's kind of funny they like then bring that back up again later when Matthew Perry becomes the new coach. Yeah, it's the only part of the movie that uh, is subtle or has any sort of payoff. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which is probably why like they put it in like the after credits because they didn't want to end the movie with any payoff, so they wanted to like, give it like- <laughs> <laughs> There was no payoff to just like, oh, Matt- Zac Efron finished building the 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 um hammock because he's 17 and has the energy of a 17 year old instead of a 35 year old and now he and leslie mann are gonna have a happy marriage forever um because he cherishes her now i guess thanks that the okay uh 
uh, Leslie Mann becoming a uh, lawn designer. Uh, that's a real divorce lady job. <laughs> <laughs> also, the, where did they get the room for all that? It yeah. is like a, you know the first scene of their of their like a shitty ass yard. It's just like a regular suburban yard, and then it turns into this like wondrous paradise, seven acres. And I'm it's, like, where did this come from? It's it's frankly a little busy, if you ask me. It, like, it is she, a little she busy. Needs, she needs to cut down on some of the stuff she threw in Also, there. where did the running water come from? She's like, oh, we're going to have water come in from the east and go out through the north. And I'm like, there is no river here. <laughs> How are you going to do that? She's probably just running a hose. But, you know. No, they, they, they should cut into like a scene of like, you know how like the whole thing was how Matthew Perry or how Zac Efron kept trying to sabotage the bully and the daughter making out? They should have cut in on the scene of like them about to like take a shower together and like the running water they get they like don't have any running water they're like where's the running water going and then it cuts to like a you see like a pipeline coming from like the pipe of like the shower all the way out to like the fountain in the uh backyard yeah the great, the yeah. movie should have been um about her like spending time in like local court because she's like trying to reroute a river that runs through the town to her house and she's getting like all the 311 permits and stuff. <laughs> you know what? That's a good idea. And they probably should have called the movie A River Runs Through It then. <laughs> uh, so- and the, the only other thing I have in my notes that we haven't brought up yet, and I wish I had written down which character says this about whom, um, but I just thought that this was, I don't remember who says it to who, but I just thought that this was such a great, like, uh, this is 2009. This is a dated movie because one woman says about another as a compliment damn you have the butt of a 12 year old boy <laughs> <laughs> what is that i think it was leslie man's friend Les- about yeah. leslie man yes, um, oh okay yeah yeah she says the, as a compliment you have the butt of a 12 year old boy and it's like man beauty standards really changed in the last decade am i right um i i also remember that because sandy and i were watching it together and when that scene happened i she goes Ugh, and then immediately picks up her pen and starts writing. <laughs> That's great. I love a good, like, you immediately have to start typing or writing something down after you see the movie thing. To, uh, yeah. I did that. So there's my favorite line in the movie, which is a, it's it's my favorite type of lines or the lines where someone is saying something. I don't know how to describe it, but like it's like the typical sitcom thing where someone is trying to make someone think that something's not happening and then like someone comes up and says something that makes them even more confused. Sure. When Zac Efron is in the classroom and uh, Leslie man calls him and says hey where are you we're doing the proceedings like today for the divorce and uh he says oh i'm in i don't know wherever he said he was he said he was like taking a trip somewhere i think yeah and she's like do i hear voices behind you and then like some one of the uh high schoolers comes up behind him and says so would you maybe ever consider dating a 10th grader (laughs) (laughs) i thought that was funny when and then leslie man's like what is happening Uh, i have to be honest leslie man and zach efron do have chemistry in this movie the scene where they're like dancing is 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 pretty sexy. I uh, oh, yeah. I won't be discussing the politics of that, but it is they do have a lot of chemistry. It should they've and they've been married for thirteen years since then, so it's good that it worked out for both of them. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. Leslie Mann is married happily married to Judd Epitou. Ep- 
He's French. Wait, Judd? Yeah, Judd Apatow oh. and Leslie Mann are married. Yeah. Oh, I don't think I knew that. I also didn't know that you didn't know how to pronounce his last name. I know how to say Judd Apatow. <laughs> but yeah, no, parents of uh, Maud Apatow of Euphoria fame. Wait, Maud Apatow has parents that are famous too? <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. Canceled. Have you seen The Bubble? Sorry, this is barely related, but she is in it and it is a bad movie. I don't even know if I've heard of it. Oh, it's the it's the new Judd Apto movie on Netflix. Oh, I keep we Maybe that'll be a new bit where I forget the name of that movie because I think we <laughs> talked about that movie last week and I cannot remember the name of it either when you mentioned it. Uh, oh, did we talk about it last week? I think so. Oh, well, it's bad. I don't like it. I, there's a lot of movies I've seen recently that are bad. Closing thoughts uh, and ratings. Do we want to get into that? Yeah. What's, let's the, what's the rating scale? So we are going to rate this one uh, on a scale of zero to 17s again. <laughs> Um, Daniel, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Or Maybe want you go first. Okay, I am going to give this movie. So I didn't like it. Um, my closing thoughts are uh, it needed better editing story. Uh, the acting, I guess, was good. You know, everyone, I, everyone's doing a like, you know, good job in their performances. But just the story and the dialogue and the plot and the way it was shot and everything else about it is very bad. So I am giving it a uh, two, uh, two, two again, I guess. <laughs> now that's a movie I would watch. That's a sequel to the movie You Again. <laughs> two nice. again. Oh my uh, god. Yeah, I, I hated this movie. I think it's one of the worst things we have watched in this podcast uh, brief history, which is kind of saying something because we haven't really watched anything good. <laughs> I, I would disagree uh, for my rating. I think this is actually the second best thing we've watched in the podcast. Maybe tied with the episode of Studio 60 with the West Coast delay, but obviously the best thing being Clock Watchers. Well, or or Shining Veil. Shining Veil is up there for me. Oh, that's right. Shining Veil is pretty good, but not as good as 17 again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 17 again, I would, I think 17 again is the perfect, well, because I watched it like recorded on like TBS, uh, and I think it's like the perfect movie for that, where once the movie's over, they immediately like fast forward through the credits while having someone else come up on the screen beside you, so you're just done with this forever. Uh, but I think it was a perfect in 2012 throw this movie on the TV and just enjoy the dumb physical comedy of it or like the dumb like sort of um, situational like misplaced situation comedy because it was a movie that I think if I watched this a decade ago I would probably really like it never, never would have liked this in a theater probably if I went to go pay for this movie I would have been kind of annoyed but watching this for free on TV on just a day where I have nothing really to do I think this movie like nails that it does a very good job of like the late 2000s comedy movie that sort of sucks but you know it sucks and it sort of knows it sucks too so they sort of everyone kind of gets it but Zac Efron gives a better performance than he should have in it so I'm gonna give this movie a 12 again okay uh Sandy yeah um you know I I actually think that on watching it for this podcast, I was able to maybe sort of like better appreciate the, yeah, the, the acting that Zac Efron is doing, the chemistry he has with Leslie Mann. I could pay more attention to the editing, which as Brandon mentioned is dog shit. Um, but I am still, you know, the first time I ever watched this movie, my jaw was just on the fucking floor the entire time that this is a movie about like a guy getting passed over at work and the 
activist judges are taking his kids away and the only way that he really like brings everything back together is to make exactly the same mis mistakes he made before no changes no notes and doing that you know because i and it is really hard for me to shake that ultimate like jaw on the floor that this is what the movie is about even though again i do think that i could appreciate the acting and, and like a little bit more real, this time. real quick when was the first time you saw this movie i watched this movie in 2017 okay i had a roommate who was really annoying and just like was always like always listening to the pitch perfect versions of of songs <laughs> and never the original song and they loved this movie and there was one night that, that we were all having a roommate movie night and and put on 17 again and i again i was just like are you serious the entire time and maybe maybe i was impacted by the fact that the person who showed it to me is a very annoying person in my life and again you know i hate to be the person who's like ooh, the politics of the movie but like that's but the politics of the movie are the plot of the movie yeah <laughs> and so i feel like it's really hard to divorce that you know the 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 politics of the movie the sort of like i think it's sort of like a 2009 right-wing fantasy you know that if we can just go back 20 years um everything is going to be all right our wives will love us again and our daughters will have weird psychosexual like attachments to us um that it, you know we just have to like turn the clock back a little bit to when i was hot and like the society will make sense again um and again and you can win your kids back by monologuing at the activist judges yeah um, i mean yeah if matthew perry didn't go through the 17 beginning um and he just was a bitter middle-aged guy in 2020 he's like a like a red pilled like like uh facebook trucker dude <laughs> yeah. but again i zach efron is more charming and a better actor than i think i was able to appreciate the first time that i watched this so i'm gonna be even more generous than brandon and give this a three out of 17 again <laughs> I, that's my final answer is three out of 17 wow guys if we combine all of our ratings we get to 17 <laughs> <laughs> Uh, also, That's fun. Uh, Sandy, so if you watched this movie five years ago, would you say rewatching it now, it felt like it was 2017 again? <laughs> nice. nice. Um, yeah. that's, that's pretty good. So yeah, no, I totally get that. I think if Zac Efron was not in this movie, this movie would have probably been closer to your ratings. But I think I just was so sold by Zac Efron as playing a 17-year-old version of a 37-year-old man that that kind of made this movie for me pretty much. And Zac Efron does a good Matthew Perry impression. It is, I think, unfortunate for this movie that that is the choice he had to make was to be doing a Matt Perry impression the entire time. But he is good at that. Yeah. yeah. No, Zac Efron, I feel like, uh, kind of under underrated as an actor. Like, he really gets sidelined as, like, this, like, Disney movie guy. But he's, he's fucking funny. And have you seen Neighbors? I have not. I really like Neighbors a lot. I mean, like, you know, it's a silly, you know, stupid, just watch it on a Sunday afternoon kind of deal. But it's really, really funny. Yeah, he's very good in that. Pretty good Neighbors, too, also. it's a <laughs> I haven't seen Neighbors, too. But I bet I would like it because I like, you know, I like Zac Efron and Seth Rogen is the older name. 
Neighbor in that Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, yeah, both both solid movies. I think Zac Efron's good. Yeah. Um, should we should we wrap things up? Do you guys want to go around the horn and suggest something that uh you're watching this week? Sure. Um, I can go first. I've started Severance this week. Oh, I've heard um, good things. Yeah, it's a very good show. Adam Scott's very good. The supporting cast is very good. It has a good line between sort of funny, sort of satirical sci-fi vibe to it where it's clearly trying to say something and it's got a lot going for it. I like it a lot. I like the way that it's done. It's very stylized in a cool way and it, the characters seem very... There's nuance to most of the characters so far already, which is pretty nice. Like Even the characters that don't have nuance, they clearly have foreshadowing. Again, I'm only three episodes in. Um, they clearly have like some sort of possible nuance later in the future, so I kind of have, like that they're giving good characterization to everybody. Um, and if I had to pick Matthew Perry for a role in the show, there's actually a pretty good role for him, I think, in the show. Uh, which is... I'm not going to say anything about this character because that might be a bit of a spoiler, but there's somebody in the show who's a very sort of disheveled guy who is like uh like he basically his entire time he on the show he like his tie is not on right he he has like five o'clock shadow like he sort of seems like he's like a guy who's clearly past his like he doesn't really have anything going for him and it's sort of like a kind of like he's like the guy who is basically i'm trying to figure out how to spoil anything for the show but he's, he's a, guy, a disheveled guy he's a guy he's dressed it up that much not more, matthew yeah. perry's age maybe uh he has a few funny quips here and there um i think matthew perry would be really good in that role as like the kind of guy who has a lot of weird sort of energy to him that some of the other characters might not like that seems mm-hmm. like a very matthew perry vibe maybe in 2022 um so i think he'd nail that probably yeah um i've been watching uh peacemaker um on uh hbo uh fucking great uh i really love james gunn man he um but also like john cena who is peacemaker is sort of like a you know he's like a quippy sarcastic kind of an asshole um and it it would be funny for matthew perry to play like a villain um so yeah (laughs) i saw that face you're making he would not play like a superhero no no but like play play like a villain because like matthew perry is like like you know he's obviously not super jacked in the way john cena is um but i think that like the james gunn type of snark that is which somehow is not grating to me in the way that other like superhero snark is um but like i think matthew perry could play against john cena as like a bad guy pretty easily um and i think it would be you know that that's like a season eight plot <laughs> oh yeah that's fair yeah peace yeah. fun. um so i've been watching uh la mica geniale the uh hbo adaptation of of my brilliant friend, um, the and uh, and actually all four of the Elena Ferrante Neapolitan novels. Um, once I realized that part of this question is who should Matthew Perry play, <laughs> and this is a TV show about uh, 1950s uh, Naples and like this incredibly poor neighborhood, um, I sort of panicked. But I realized Matthew Perry could play Donato Saratore super well. He, you know, this character is like a. Um, um, construction worker and a poet and like he's like a womanizer in the neighborhood but nobody really believes it at first because he's like too ugly to like pull as much as he does and so everyone's like oh he can't be cheating on his wife and, but then it turns out that he actually secretly pulls on the side um, and he's like very like he is kind of quippy for again 1950s Italy <laughs> um, I think that I think Matthew Perry could could take a hard right turn in his uh, in his career <laughs> I haven't watched the show. Have there been any uh, kids in the show that aren't allowed to go in the water because they turn into fish? What? <laughs> <laughs> 
are you making a Luca? A, oh, Luca! I was trying to think of the Disney Channel splash. splash. <laughs> <laughs> no. um, okay, yeah, I did not get that you were talking about Luca at all. <laughs> uh, I'm assuming there's gonna be a crossover eventually because they both take place in 1950s Italy. Yeah. <laughs> Sandy, thank you for coming on the show. Do you have, I don't know, do you have anything you want to plug? I I always ask that and it's like, no, these are like normal people who like don't have projects. Uh, Um, uh, Listen to Glass Houses by Billy Joel sometime this week if you haven't already. That's what I have to plug. Ooh, Matthew Perry could play Billy Joel. Uh, Wait, I'm saving that for next week. (laughs) Okay, we are watching Big Nothing next week. All right. uh, Thanks for coming on, Daniel. I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening, everyone. Don't forget to like and subscribe, a thing we've never said on the show before. Follow, (laughs) what's what's our Twitter again? Uh, At NotFriendsPod. NotFriendsPod, yeah. Follow NotFriendsPod on Twitter. Yeah. All right. Good job. (laughs) We're good at this. Bye. Bless you, Perry.